We are going to have a baptism in a few minutes, which is exciting news for sure. Tatiana Via is going to be baptized. We're excited about that. I think we're going to have just about the whole family in the baptistry this morning, which is wonderful news too. Some of you have probably seen uh, a movie called Sweet Home Alabama. How many people have seen Sweet Home Alabama? Okay. Oh, enough hands probably for me to say this, to use this. There's a, a place in this movie, like this is uh, Reese Witherspoon. And uh, she has a, a love interest in New York that she meets while she's in New York. But she herself is from Alabama. And she's, uh, she's blue collar for sure from Alabama. And so not... What we would say something like, you know, you use the word highfalutin. I don't know what that means, but she's not that, okay? So she comes from that kind of context, and then she goes to New York, and she actually meets the mayor's son, and that's the love interest that she, she falls in love with him. She had been previously married in Alabama, supposedly got divorced. You can see where that's going to go. And then she, she ends up not getting divorced. She goes back to Alabama to kind of straighten all of that out. In the midst of it, she sees her, her, who is actually her husband still. Well, there's a, a scene in the movie where she's looking for her father. She's trying to, to find him. And then the, uh, the love interest comes down from New York to see her. And he also looks for the father. And they find him on a battlefield. And because this is the southern part of the United States, this is Dixieland. So they, they are recreating a battle from the American Civil War. And it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a humorous scene. Like it's not, uh, you know, it's not a, a bloody scene or anything like that that they're trying to create. And in fact, that's why I'm kind of bringing your attention to it this morning. Because I think it's interesting that you could take something like war, the American Civil War, which was extremely bloody, was a horrible, horrible occasion, and then recreate it. And, and to do so intentionally. And to invite people to come and watch this so-called recreation of a war, of a battle. Now, if you think that through, there's a sense in which none of that really makes much sense. Like, you're kind of glorifying that battle and that war. And in the movie itself, it is a little bit of a funny scene. There are some funny things that happen. Like, at one point, she's on the battlefield walking around from dead person to dead person trying to find her dad, who, of course, is alive. None of these people are actually dead. And so, one of them sits up and says... Who you looking for, little darling? And she says her dad's name, you know, and he's like, well, I think he might be over on that hill over there. And so she starts walking over there, and she eventually finds her dad in the midst of this battle. Well, all of these people are alive, of course. And so at different times, they were kind of sitting up and saying things, and, and, and some of it is quite funny. But again, it's just so strange to be talking about something as brutal as the reenactment of war and, and making such light of it. You know who would never do that? 
You know who would never make light in that way of a battle like that? The people who had been through it. There is just no way that somebody who had actually been through that battle in the American Civil War and had seen all the blood and all the gore and all the death, there's no way that they would kind of take light of this. They wouldn't make a joke of this. They wouldn't sit around and act as though, ah, it was no big deal. Like, if you've ever known anybody, and I knew someone, my father, who went through battles, they don't necessarily want to talk about that. The people who talk about how they are heroes, oh, you're a hero because you went through this, most of the time those heroes would say, don't talk to me about being a hero. Don't talk to me about being a hero, certainly, when it comes to war. And that's because they lived that reality, they knew that reality, and they didn't want to go back there at all. It's, it's strange. My dad, war hero, no, that's too strong of language, but he did some heroic things. And yet my father never talked about his experiences in World War II. Never. I, I don't remember him ever really talking about those. He did tell me once about a battle that he was in where he captured this machine gun. We had this machine gun in our house the whole time I was growing up. Dad had captured that in the middle of the war. And so we obviously asked him about it, what was going on with this. And he told the story. But outside of that, nothing. And I just think it's interesting that those kinds of things, those kinds of events are not the kind of events that you would continue to focus on and you certainly wouldn't make light of them. Well, here's another kind of incident that people would not make light of. Now, we see this all the time on television. We see this in storybooks. Uh, if you read Mark Twain, there's some of this. People sometimes will make light of the condition of slavery. Slavery becomes a subject for laughter. We hear the kind of Cliché lines that come from the mouths of slaves. We see on television depictions of those who are in slavery. And oftentimes, again, those stories can be told in a funny way, I suppose. But you know who would never tell it that way? The ones who would never make light of it like that, who wouldn't laugh at those kind of conditions, especially the squalor and the pain and all the things that were evil about slavery. The ones who wouldn't do that are those who actually experienced slavery. For them, it was not a laughing matter. It was not something to joke about, a condition that we could look back on and say, well, that was a a good time in our lives. No. Nothing like that would cross their minds. And that's the kind of circumstance that Paul addresses and thinks about as he's talking to these Gentile Christians. Because the fact is, in the Roman world, the majority of people were actually slaves. If not the majority, then very close. The estimates are that around 50% of the population were slaves. And that would certainly be true of lots of people who had come from Judaism. They would be slaves. Because the Romans went in and they took places over and they were ruthless and made people slaves. And so the people to whom Paul is writing, they knew slavery They got it. They understood it. 
They knew the oppressive side of slavery. They knew the dark spiritual forces that were there. They knew the slavery of their own sinfulness. They knew the slavery of paganism. All these things were oppressive to them in significant ways. Well, all of that sounds pretty dark. Whether we're talking about war or slavery, it's all pretty dark. And so we, what we need are some words of good news. And Paul, in fact, gives them to us. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to look at verse 11 to begin with here, and then on, or sorry, verse 8, and then off after that. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. I, I didn't get this on the screen, the page number. Maybe if you're looking under a pew Bible or a seat Bible, you could shout out the number so everybody else can easily find that. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Is somebody there in a Bible from underneath the seat? What's that? Thanks, Dell. 825 is the page. Unless, of course, Dell's wrong, which is always a possibility. Gotcha again. Here's the question, at least at the start. Would you, if you were a slave, intentionally return to slavery? And the answer, of course, is never. Look at verse 8. Formerly... When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Now, when he says that, he's talking about their slavery to a pagan system. And in fact, a pagan system of legalism. There were certain things that they had to do within the legalistic pagan system. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Now, those slaves or those, uh, those to which these people were slaved, again, are not gods. These were pagan deities that they would participate in these pagan rituals with. And there were all kinds of rules, all kinds of legislations. They had pagan festivals, pagan um, rituals in which they would participate. And they also had the whole slavery of the domination of sin that went along with all those rituals. And what Paul is asking is a question like this. Why would you go back? Why would you even think about going back into that kind of slavery. Now what he's saying here is, by going back into Judaism, by willing to participate in circumcision all over again, and saying, we definitely need to be Jews before we can be Christians, Paul is saying, all you're doing in doing that is going back into slavery. And the point is, of course, no one would ever do that. There are no good reasons why anybody would go back into slavery. And so... We have to ask ourselves at least some questions this morning about our own slavery. Is there any kind of slavery that somehow has, at least in the past, dominated us and may potentially dominate us again? What do you think? Is there any kind of slavery that could dominate us again and that has, in some ways, in the past? And I would say that there are at least some ways in which we could be dominated again if we're not careful. Like, for example, sitting here today, there are people who have come out of alcoholism. There are people here who today have come out of drug abuse. There are people who are sitting here today who've come out of lives of pretty prominent uh, promiscuity. 
There are those of you who have lived lives in which you took advantage of others. Maybe cheating them. Maybe harshly treating others. There are those today who have come out of a life of mistreating their spouse. There, I have no doubt but that there's somebody in the room today who has actually hit their spouse. That would not shock me at all. And Jesus has set us free from every imaginable addiction, control, sinfulness, including setting us free from any kind of legalism that would require of us that we live up to those rules, thinking that those rules are the means of our relationship with God. And from that, Jesus has set us free. He set us free from all of it. And yet scripture says things like, does a dog return to its vomit? Because sometimes we do. And Paul is definitely saying to these Galatians, if there is anything that is somehow going to keep you under slavery, why in the world would you return to that? And he wants them to take seriously this question about returning to that from which you have been set free. And I just want you to think for a moment this morning just about your own freedom in Jesus. Jesus has set you free. He has set you free indeed. And I don't know what it is that you've done. There could be a list as long as my arm of atrocious behaviors in which you've participated. There could be people in this room and a dozen others that you're thinking of right now that you've been mean to or mistreated. There are ways in which you have let others down. There have been lies that you've told, etc., etc., etc. And from all those things, Jesus has set you free. And we need, therefore, to live out the life of freedom in Him, the freedom indeed that He's given to us. Amen? Is that not the case? Is there anybody here today who can say, I didn't need to be set free? Is there anybody here who didn't need to be set free from something? And Christ indeed has set us free, he says, and for that I praise the Lord. And so there is a, a clear call on Paul's part not to go back into any kind of slavery. And again, these people knew slavery, and they understood the slavery of sinfulness, the slavery of legalism, the slavery of paganism, and Paul calls them out of all of that and says, now stand free where you need to be in Jesus. Now I want you to look at verse 12. This is interesting because Paul has a special relationship with these people. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. Well, somebody tell me, what exactly was it that Paul became? Where, where was Paul enslaved? Somebody tell me this. Where was Paul enslaved? How was Paul enslaved? Someone? How was Paul enslaved? Through the law. In what way? Like, how would the law be a slavery for Paul? In the same way it is for any other Jew, right? And especially as a Pharisee. His life as a Pharisee revolved completely around trying to keep the law. And Paul says, I became something new. I became something different. And then he says to the Gentiles, and you became like me. I, and I want you to become ever more like me in being free in Christ. 
And so there's this Paul who calls them to the same kind of life that he's lived in terms of coming out of this slavery into freedom. Well, he continues from there. He says, but now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I become like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn your eyes out and given it to me. By the way, why do you think Paul says, I wish you could have, or maybe you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me? Why would he say that? Why specifically eyes? You've heard about, read about Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? Paul talks about his own thorn in the flesh. I have something that God gave me, a thorn in the flesh. I begged him to take it away from me. He wouldn't take it away. Scholars have been wrestling forever about what it is that Paul may have had as a thorn in the flesh. When you get over to chapter 6, verse 11 in this book, Paul says, see what large letters I'm writing to you as he writes. It may well be that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a problem with his eyesight. Which makes perfect sense that they would then be asked or would in fact be tempted to tear out their eyes and give them to him because his eyes were bad. Well, something has happened. What, what has gone on in this story that causes him now to say to them, wait a minute, what are you doing? How, how come you're not treating me as well as you used to? Somebody tell me what's gone on. Why is it that Paul now says to them, How come you don't love me like you used to? Do you remember? They're turning back to the law. And why are they doing that? What's caused them to do that? Like if you look at chapter 1, there's something gone on that has caused them specifically to go back to what they once knew as slaves. And it's in chapter 1, it goes on in chapter 2. What's going on there? Yeah, the proselytizers, say that word again, the proselytizers or the Judaizers who are proselytizing those Gentiles, trying to get them to go back into Judaism, right? And Paul is saying, don't go back there, don't go back there. And part of the problem is, is these same people, these Judaizers, those who are trying to proselytize the Gentiles and make them Jews again, are doing so, calling into question Paul's gospel and saying about Paul, that his gospel is not true. That Paul doesn't know God. That he doesn't love God. He's not really trying to serve God. You can't trust Paul. And Paul says, now, after you've been set free, I, the one who helped you be set free, you're being challenged to give up the very relationship, not just with me, but also with Christ, that has allowed you to be set free. And so slaves are now being asked by others to defy those who've asked them to be set free in Jesus, compelled them with the gospel to be set free in Jesus. They're being called to a new legalism. And what Paul calls later in this epistle, the rejection of the gospel 
of Jesus. Well, this is for these people then a huge moment in time. These things that are so significant for them, their redemption from sin and freedom from slavery, they're now tempted to go back and stay within that slavery. And again, this is no joking matter. For Paul and for them, this is absolutely huge. Are they going to be slaves or are they going to be free? So he continues to tell them who they are and to talk about the story of what God has done. I want you to look at verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants, two choices, two ways that they could go. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. And that word would be like a key word for them. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that above is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Be glad, bearing woman, who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, You who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her own husband. And the point is, is that God has set them free. They can be like Isaac, or they can be like Ishmael. What ultimately happens to Ishmael? Ishmael ultimately is rejected. He gets sent off. He's left out there by his own. In fact, in many ways, a slave to the forces of evil. Isaac, on the other hand, becomes the chosen one of God, the special one of God, in the lineage And through him, the promise is passed down. Well, who are these Gentiles going to be? Verse 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. And so those who are born of the promise are being persecuted by those who are born by the law. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and this is maybe the line for the morning, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We have been set free. This book is so much about the gospel of freedom. That's why our theme is called to be free. Because we are children of God by faith in Christ, set free from our sins and set free from any kind of law that would rule over us. And the fact is, that is fantastic news. This is great news that we are set free in Jesus. This is not just an intellectual discussion about whether we're going to follow the law or follow grace. It's instead a proclamation of our freedom. This is a proclamation about who we are. If I ask you who you are, do you say to yourself, I'm a child of God? 
Or do you say to yourself, well, I'm an engineer. Or I'm a mother. Or I'm a student. Or I'm a child. Or I'm retired. What do you say about yourself when someone asks you, who are you? And we meet new people all the time. We have a chance to tell them who we are. Do we say to them, I am a child of God. That's the way I identify myself. I am one of those free ones in Christ. I've been set absolutely free by Jesus. Is that the way we identify ourselves? Because that's who we are. Are you a child of God? So badly, I think, Paul and God wants us to simply be who we are. He has made us his children. We've been created free in him. And we go on living life as if we're something else. And all the while, he has created us to be his special children. That's who we are. That's our core identity. I am of Christ, and I am of free. I don't know if we can get this the way they did. There's not many of you in here who have ever experienced slavery. But they did. They got slavery. And to be free is free indeed. Another movie. Some of you have seen this. How many of you have seen Amistad? Do you remember this movie? Anybody? Not that many hands went up. Have you seen Amistad? Not many. The reason you haven't seen Amistad really is because of the Titanic. Titanic came out the same time Amistad did. Titanic was a massive movie. One of the biggest movies of all time. Everybody went and watched Titanic. Amistad's a better story. Amistad is a story of some slaves who came from the Ivory Coast, were put on a slave ship, but in the midst of the ocean, they were able to overpower those who were running the slave ship. And the slave ship then floated into the coast of the United States, and they eventually ended up in Boston. And there's a famous scene in the movie where the question is, are these people who took over the ship as slaves but now came into the harbor as, in one sense, free, are they going back to Africa? Or are they going to become slaves? What's going to happen to them? And John Quincy Adams is the lawyer who is trying to vindicate them and help them to be free. And there's a famous scene in the movie where one of the black slaves stands up in the midst of the courtroom and his English isn't great. And he just looks at the crowd and at the judge and he says, I want free. I want free. I want free. Because that's what everybody wants. And he wanted to be free. And if you said to him, well, would you like to go back on the slave ship with some more slave ship owners? He would say, I want free. Paul is saying to these people, you have a freedom in Christ Why would you ever go back to something else? You have become the children of God. Be who you are. And every time we make the decision to fall back into sin 
and to hold on to the darkness. And we don't allow the fullness of the Spirit to live within us and, and create in us the freedom that God has established for us. We take steps backwards into slavery, brothers and sisters. And we need to be free. One of the beautiful things about this morning is that we have the chance to help somebody be free, to watch somebody to be free, to, to participate and facilitate the freedom of somebody. Because Tatiana is going to be baptized this morning. And she's in the midst of this morning going to be set free. And that is wonderful and exciting. And so I'd like you to come up here, young lady, if you would, please. How's the water doing? Is it still warm? I want her neither to be roasted nor freezing. Let's go over here. This morning, this young lady gets to be set absolutely free. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Now, the fact is, I'm not sure that this precious heart has committed all the atrocious sins that the rest of you have committed. That's probably the case. But nonetheless, Jesus is allowing her to be completely his and to give her a freedom in his that is going to last her the rest of her life where the Holy Spirit's going to come and live within her and make her new. And you know, I want you to never, never for a moment return to the kind of unfreedom that is so much a part of the world and that you now have a chance to be completely free from and to live in Jesus in such a free and wonderful way. Tatiana, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. Do you believe that He died for you, that He has forgiven your sins, that you are standing in Him as, as His child as you make a confession today? I do. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that you do. This is such a, a wonderful time. One of the beautiful things today is that His family, her, His family, her family is going to participate in uh, the baptism today. And so I'm, I'm grateful that they get a share of this together as a, as a whole family. I'd like to lead us in prayer and then we'll have you go into the water and we'll take, have this baptism take place, all right? Let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you today for the freedom we have in you. Oh God, thank you for freeing us and, and making us your children. This young lady has the chance today to be free in you and free for the rest of her life in you because of what Jesus has done. We thank you and praise you for what it is that you've given us in Jesus. And we pray that the, the freedom that we have in you is something that we all cling to with all of our hearts. Thank you, God, for making her precious life. And we pray that you guide her with your strength. I pray that those around her would nurture her and bless her and lead her to become all that you want her to be as she continues on through life. We pray these things today through Jesus. Amen. Hello. Um... I just said Diana's auntie. I just got to translate. <laughs> uh, hello, everybody. Um, maybe it's weird, 
because everybody, all the families in here on the top, uh, but always were close, and Tatiana asked us uh, to be here with her. So we are so blessed, we are so happy, and Tatiana, as I told Santiago when I baptized him, this is, this is the best way to be free. Just enjoy it and be brave. Because it's the best way, but it is no easy way. I love you, Bella. Mwah. We are very excited and very happy for this big step you're going to take. We know you are in the best hands. We know you believe in Jesus. That you, uh, you believe that he died to forgive our sins. And from now on, the Holy Spirit is going to live in you. We baptize you in the name of uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know now. And the Holy Spirit is going to live with you. When a, a whole family comes together to see one of their, their own be renewed in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? It's a wonderful thing. I'm so glad that all of you could be here today and participate in this together. Jonathan, why don't you come and lead us uh, in a closing song? Let's all stand. It's been a beautiful day, a wonderful day, and I pray you have a great rest of the week.